You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, and welcome to the Giants Double Play Podcast. I'm Henry Schulman, the Giants beat reporter for the Chronicle, and on Sunday I have the sad duty to report that Peter McGowan, the longtime Safeway chairman and managing general partner of the Giants, had died in his San Francisco home at 76 after a long series of illnesses. Although Peter left a legacy that goes far beyond that little ballpark at China Basin, he will long be remembered in San Francisco for helping save the Giants for the city in 1992 and building what is now called Oracle Park. We'll talk about that legacy after this. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome back to the Giants Double Play Podcast. I'm Henry Schulman, the Giants beat reporter for The Chronicle. We're talking about Peter McGowan's passing today, and I've asked my producer, King Kaufman, to join me. King is a longtime sports writer as well, and he's a Giants fan too. So, you know, he has some thoughts as well about Peter. Uh, welcome, King. Thanks. Good to be here, although uh, not for a good occasion. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, you know, we, we knew that uh, he did not have much time left. It's not something that he and the family wanted to put out publicly. Uh, actually, Peter, through the years, didn't really reveal how sick he really was. Uh, but I mean, those of us who saw him in September at one of the last Giants games of the season, you know, we could see from looking at him and hear from what he was telling us that he knew that the end was probably coming. He had had uh, so much that had happened to him. He actually told me, I'll see you at spring training as he walked away from me. And he, he kind of gave me a look that, that said, well, you know, probably not. Uh, and uh, it did worsen over the years. And he died in hospice care uh, yesterday afternoon, Sunday afternoon, um, it, with his family around him. And he left uh, a legacy that uh, will go far beyond uh, the, the ballpark and uh, what he did in baseball, uh, what he did for the city of San Francisco. Yeah, we Giants fans, I think, think of him as uh, the, the guy who saved the Giants from moving to Florida, uh, which maybe not not entirely true, although it's a fair way to think of him. But he, I mean, he had a whole career before that. Yeah, I mean, he was the chairman of Safeway. Uh, he had sort of inherited that job from his father, although uh, Peter did start in the organization uh, doing some lowly, lowly jobs. He wasn't just handed the keys to the uh, executive boardroom and executive washroom. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he already was established as a business leader in the Bay Area uh, when the Giants uh, owner at the time, Bob Lurie, had uh, not only threatened to move the team, but actually sold the team to a group uh, in, in St. Petersburg. Now, uh, it, it's not completely accurate to say that 
Peter just swooped in and uh, saved the team. I mean, the the league uh, other owners really didn't want the Giants to move, and they were looking for any other alternative. They did not approve the sale to the to Tampa Bay Group, but they said, "Look, you know, you, Mr. Lurie, you need to find." some investors. I mean, you have a short amount of time to do it. And Peter and Larry Bear and some other civic and business leaders uh, like Walter Shorenstein and Charles Schwab, uh, Schwab, Sue and Harmon Burns uh, and, and others, they, they got together and uh, they put this group together and very quickly uh, were able to sell it to Major League Baseball and to Bob Lurie. And uh, it is a little bit of shorthand to say that Peter McGowan saved the Giants, but he, he certainly had a huge hand in uh, keeping the Giants in San Francisco and, of course, building the ballpark. Yeah, I mean, I remember the first time that I saw him, which was uh, at Candlestick Park, uh, and he, was, uh, int- he wasn't introduced, but he just walked around the ballpark there. And I remember it as being from late in 1992, and we were talking earlier, I, I think it was probably 1993, after he bought the team. But once the crowd realized he was there, uh, this growing ovation. Here was the guy who had saved the Giants for San Francisco. They were out the door. And the impact was immediate. I mean, 1993 was uh, not exactly just another year for the Giants. Oh, no, no. And, uh, you know, in his first year, of course, uh, the Giants won 103 games. They missed the the playoffs by one game. This was before they had the wild card. And you have to go back, actually, even before the season started, uh, the McGowan group, uh, as it became known, uh, had bought the team, but still had to be approved by uh, the other owners, which was going to happen at the winter meetings in Louisville uh, in December of uh, 1992. And uh, Peter had already decided that he wanted uh, Barry Bonds. He wanted to sign Barry Bonds and bring Barry home to the Bay Area, not just, uh, you know, to improve the team, but, you know, make a big move right at the beginning of his ownership group to try and generate interest in in a team that had been downtrodden for a while, at least attendance-wise, and for a few years on the field. And uh, he made it happen. I mean, at the time, uh, he, uh, he and the other owners agreed to give Bonds what was then a record contract, which is kind of laughable now, six years at uh, $43 million. But he, uh, he made that agreement and was about to announce it before the other owners had actually approved the McGowan group as the, as the new ownership group. So one of the first things that McGowan did as uh, the managing general partner of this organization was tick off all the other owners. And, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't a great start. But, of course, uh, they got it done. Uh, they were approved. They had the press conference. Uh, Barry Bonds came back to San Francisco. And, uh, of course, uh, the history of this franchise over – the next 15 years and, and really even beyond uh, could not be, uh, you know, sort of separated from what happened at that very first winter meetings. Yeah. And let's let's back up a little bit, because uh, before that, before 1993, and you talked about Bob Lurie wanting to sell the team and the group was going to move it to Florida. The received wisdom, the consensus at the time was, hey, San Francisco is just not a baseball town. Uh, there's no way the Giants can survive here. And uh, obviously, McGowan and his group proved them extremely wrong. It wasn't very long after that that San Francisco's the model baseball town. What did he see? Well, I mean, I think he saw what we all have come to learn, that it's not just the city. It's also the ballpark. Remember, 1992 was still the era of these cookie-cutter stadiums. Uh, The stadiums themselves were not destinations. And uh, that sort of changed when the Orioles built Camden Yards and 
that was the first retro ballpark, which incidentally, the White Sox were actually given those plans and offered them. And they said, no, nah, we'll, we'll build a more utilitarian stadium. And I, I think that uh, that was a mistake, obviously. But um, once, uh, you know, I, I think what they foresaw was that if you created a great destination that was not just hit by the fog and the weather so much and put a good team on the field, there was no reason you couldn't draw 3 million fans like the Dodgers did. The Dodgers having a good team in a great stadium in a great location. And and I think that was the foresight. And, uh, you know, one of the conditions for the McGowan group getting the team and the other owners uh, agreeing to, to this sale and keeping the team in San Francisco was that they do everything they can, the group, to create a new stadium. And, uh, you know, the Giants, if you recall, had four failed attempts to get public financing for a stadium. One of them was an election that was three weeks after the Loma Prieta earthquake in 1989. And that measure was going to pass. It had the support once the earthquake happened. I think people sort of uh, forgot about it. There were other priorities. There was like one of the lowest turnout elections in San Francisco and it failed. And the Giants had to come to the realization that they were going to have to build a private Leave finance ballpark. The city was not going to help them. And that was definitely not the way business was done at the time. Yeah, it sure wasn't. Uh, I think Dodger Stadium that you mentioned had been the previous uh, publicly, fi- uh, privately financed stadium. And there'd been a couple of generations of stadiums built since then. And uh, McGowan and his group being able to get that done, uh, a privately financed stadium, it was just unthinkable at the time. And that might be the, uh, the thing that he's most remembered for. Oh, uh, absolutely. Uh, it, it required not just money, but it, it required a lot of uh, forethought and, and thinking um, out of the box in terms of how to build a stadium. Because, you know, basically they had a $350 million stadium plan and they had to come up with the money themselves. And they did have some wealthy owners, but, you know, wealthy owners don't just sink their money into things uh, like that. And that $350 million was still a huge chunk at the time. Uh, you don't think of it that way because the stadium and the team are worth well over $2 billion now. But in 1995, 1996, when they were formulating the plans for AT&T Park, that, that was a lot of money. So they came up with this plan where they would put some of their own money in. They would go get bank loans that would be secured by the future revenue, not only of the stadium, but of the sort of surrounding area uh, out that would be created around the stadium with you know some of the Giants owners um, having some of that in, in terms of real estate and development. And then they also sold uh, personal seat licenses. And they also got, uh, I think they called them charter seats with the, the Giants. They got people to agree in advance to buy season tickets. And, and lo and behold, all of a sudden they had the money oh, and sponsorships. I mean, you know, uh, the, the $50 million that uh, Pacific Bell, which it was called at the time, um, that, uh, I mean, without which the stadium probably couldn't have been built. Pacific Bell forwarded a $23 million of that $50 million to the construction costs. And, and they created this sort of blueprint for privately financed stadiums. And now, if this is why his legacy goes even beyond San Francisco, McGowan's. If you live in a city where uh, you go to a ballpark, a stadium, a hockey rink, a cycling peloton that is 100% privately financed, you can thank Peter McGowan for... Uh, and his group for creating that formula. And conversely, if you live in a city where you're trying to get a stadium built uh, and you you desperately need some public funds, <coughs> Oakland, um, and and you can't do it without the public, uh, you know, can't do it completely privately, then 
um, you know, you might curse Peter McGowan's name. And Peter McGowan's name, uh, you know, on, on the day someone dies or the day after someone dies, we all say nice things about him. But in a uh, in a more full picture, it's it's not all positive news, right? No, I mean, you first of all, you can go all the way back to Safeway, and there was a lot of pain during his final years as chairman of Safeway as they the company. Um, launched a leveraged buyout uh, uh, to take the company private, and uh, they had to close stores and lay people off to make it financially acceptable. I think that's on the business side is one of the negatives that Peter uh, might have been remembered for. And, and of course, on the baseball side, um, you can't sort of disengage uh, Peter McGowan, uh, this team, these executives from the steroid scandal. Uh, and uh, Balco and the entire steroid scandal that kind of roiled the game in the uh, early part of the century, um, it, it really uh, started, it began with Barry Bonds and the Giants. Uh, it, it all started with uh, a, uh, an IRS investigation into Balco uh, and, and some of the movement of, of illegal, uh, illegally moved uh, performance enhancing drugs. It, it led to Barry Bonds, it led to Balco. And, uh, you know, the Giants profited very heavily from Barry Bonds' years with the Giants. Uh, one of the negatives that, that people said about ownership at the time, and now we're talking about after the 2002 World Series and the 2003 season when they won, uh, you know, they won the West, is uh, they had there were four years there where uh, they really weren't putting a lot of money into the team uh, to try and win, but they, you know, because they understood that they could make money on the bonds hunt. And all this happened with the context of steroid scandal in the background. And then uh, the Congress uh, ordered a Mitchell report on uh, steroid use in baseball. And, um, you know, uh, it, the Mitchell report was flawed because there were, uh, you know, I mean, it was very narrow in its focus. It, 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 it picked on certain teams and owners and executives and players, ignored others. Uh, but Peter McGowan and Brian Sabian and the Giants took a lot of heat in the Mitchell report. And, uh, they were given, it was a, it was a black eye for the organization. And interestingly, uh, in an interview with our John Shea, a, a couple of years ago, Peter acknowledged that he probably should have done more, uh, to maybe keep his eyes open to what was going on and uh, understand more what was going on and, um, maybe do more to try and, um, and stop it. But uh, it, it didn't happen. And that will be part of uh, the Peter McGowan legacy. Uh, one one black mark in, uh, you know, really a legacy that has so many bright spots to be considered. The Giants won three World Series, of course, as uh, Giants fans remember very well, 2010, 12 and 14. He's no longer uh, at the top of the org chart at that point. What happened there? Well, uh, you know, I don't think the whole story on that 100 percent has been revealed. I think that a lot of different things happened and it could be sort of an amalgam of all three. Uh, for one thing, there were uh, rumors at the time that the league was trying to force him out because of the, the the negative attention that Barry Bonds brought to the entire sport. Some of the owners wanted him out. Uh, that was never really proven uh, out in any kind of uh, you know media or or story or anything like that. Any kind of confession. I, I think part of it was that uh, in the wake of Barry Bonds' departure, uh, the Giants under McGowan, uh, his uh, leader stewardship. Uh, they gave out some really bad contracts, some really expensive contracts at the time. And McGowan was one who believed that, uh, you know, the, the Giants should have a face of the franchise. And Barry Bonds was the face of the franchise for 15 seasons. And knowing that that was coming to an end, uh, he felt that Barry Zito would be a great candidate as the next face of the franchise. And they ended up getting 
getting him what turned out to be a, a very bad contract for the Giants. It was seven years and $126 million. They had given Aaron Rowan $60 million over five years. So there was also some thought that the owners wanted to change, uh, you know, because of the fiscal uh, situation with some of those contracts not working out. Um, and but the third part, which I actually know for a fact because Peter told me and I believe him, is that he was 66 years old in 2008. And he had spent his whole working life traveling from here to there and running corporations and this and that. And he said he wanted to spend more time with his family. He, he, was, he had grandchildren at the time. Uh, he was approaching 70 years old. And, uh, you know, he, he, when he died, he had 12 grandchildren. And I really do believe that he wanted to enjoy life for a while. So I think it could be part of all three. Uh, he was still around, though. He was in, in the uh, clubhouse in 2010. And you've told that story about uh, your conversation with him there. Yeah, you know, he uh, always uh, maintained until the day he died. Uh, Peter McGowan maintain, maintained a uh, an ownership stake. It was a small ownership stake. He never really had the biggest uh, stake in the team. He 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 always had one of the smaller investments, but uh, you know, he he was the voice of the team as well. And he maintained an investment uh, throughout his living years. And I, I just remember, I can't uh, forget the scene in 2010, Brian Wilson had struck out Nelson Cruz and the Giants had won their first World Series since the team moved to San Francisco. Uh, and um, I was in the clubhouse, he was drenched in champagne, and a lot of us were interviewing him. And I asked Peter, does this right now, this, this feeling right now, this title, um, erase everything that happened before it, all the bad, the uh, the 1962 World Series when uh, Willie McCovey lined out to Bobby Richardson to end Game 7 when a base hit would have won the series. In 2002, the heartbreak of losing a World Series when uh, they were a couple of innings away uh, from winning the title and it, it fell from their grasp. And I didn't really know what how he was going to answer it. Uh, you know, I thought it could have gone either way. And, and without skipping a beat, he said, yes, absolutely, yes, um, this makes up for everything uh, because, you know, we have won it. We've done it for the city of San Francisco. And, um, you know, all of that stuff is in the background now. Now, you know, as I mentioned, you are a Giants fan, uh, King, uh, you know, uh, long before the title, uh, and you've been a Giants fan for a long time. I don't know how you feel about that 2002 thing. Well, I felt in 2010 the same way uh, the, that he did. You know, this makes up for everything. Uh, 2002 is gone, but that feeling does kind of wear off. And uh, now, once again, when I think of Dusty Baker handing the ball to Russ Ortiz uh, on the mound, uh, it still is just as painful as it was in, in November of, of 2002. But I get the sentiment. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I get, I, I get it, too, because, uh, you know, every time I joke about make some sort of crack or reference to 2002 uh, on social media, I always get 10,000 people who immediately tweet back and say, too soon, too soon. So, you know, <laughs> and, you know, and, you know at different people have different uh, at different times of their lives are more invested in baseball. And, you know, I think there were some who were more invested in it that in that era the Dusty Baker era, then they ended up becoming in, in 2010. So, so I get it a little bit. Um, but, you know, Peter, Peter was there for, for all of that. And, uh, you know, I know that 2002 was a great disappointment for him as well. Another uh, innovation that he made, uh, he brought in Barry Bonds, he, he got the ballpark uh, built, he spearheaded that. Uh, until there's a cure day, very common in Major League Baseball and uh, around sports days like it. Uh, that was the first one in 1994 at Candlestick Park. Yeah, you know, and I think this is part of a legacy that, uh, you know, most people won't remember about Peter McGowan, especially outside the Bay Area. 
But I mean, you have to remember in uh, in the mid 1990s, 1994, it was, I believe, when the first Until There's a Cure Day happened. Uh, you know, AIDS was still a, a major uh, topic because it, w- it was still uh, in full bloom. It was still a crisis. And, uh, you know, it had the stigma of being attached to uh, the gay community, gay, gay men in particular. And uh, it, it wasn't something that was at the forefront of sports. Uh, professional sports didn't want any piece of that. Um, you know, it, nowadays, uh, you actually have athletes who uh, come out in, in various sports, uh, and it's not as big a deal as, as it would have been uh, 25 years ago. And uh, Peter decided that he wanted to raise money for AIDS awareness uh, and to find a cure, and he created Until There's a Cure Day. Uh, and it, it was an amazing event for 1994. Um, he uh, They uh, sold AIDS ribbons to to raise money for AIDS research, research. and they had a ceremony before the game where um, uh, activists and uh, AIDS patients and whatnot formed a human AIDS ribbon, uh, I'm sorry, AIDS ribbon in center field, uh, at AT&T Park. Uh, and uh, it, it was just remarkable that at, in 1994, when you have these professional athletes who wouldn't even talk about stuff like this, uh, they agreed both teams to come out en masse and join this human AIDS ribbon. And it, it, it did so much to push the issue into the forefront. And, and not just AIDS, but uh, McGowan was the first, uh, under his tenure, was the first to host an LBG QT night. Uh, it wasn't called that then, uh, but, you know, he was the first to, to host one. And, and, and uh, you know, it, it was an outreach to a part of the community. It wasn't just a cynical way to tap into an, uh, you know, a market here uh, in the Bay Area where there were a lot of gay people. It, it was something he felt was necessary because they were part of the community and the Giants were part of the community. And now I go to places like you wouldn't believe, like Atlanta in the Deep South. And I've been there with the Giants when they've had uh, an LBGQT night. Uh, and I think, wow, I mean, this is this is really amazing. And it's something that he set in motion. And I believe that until there's a cure day, um, you know, still happens every year. They don't uh, necessarily have the, hu- uh, the human AIDS ribbon, ribbon the way they did it in the past. But it is one of his, it is one of his legacies. Yeah, there were there were 50,007 people paid attendance that day in 1994. And the, you didn't get that kind of crowd very often at Candlestick Park in those days. Uh, yeah. And uh, actually, one of the uh, odd things that happened I remember that I think they were playing the Rockies that day and they, they, they did this uh, human AIDS ribbon and both of the players were out there and uh, both of the teams were out there and it was all this brotherness and togetherness. And then during the game, like uh, one team hit one batter, the other team retaliated and they ended up having a full on brawl <laughs> out on the field. Yes. File under life is complicated. Yeah. Well, life is complicated, and uh, Peter McGowan, we've talked about the good and the bad. What do you think uh, when we talk about him in 20 or 30 or 50 years? How will he be remembered? Well, I, I think on the surface he's going to be remembered, obviously, uh, for the two big achievements uh, of helping to keep the Giants in San Francisco by helping to form that uh, investor group, which uh, you know was an all-star group of, of Bay Area businessmen, and then of constructing uh, AT&T Park. Uh, and saving baseball for San Francisco forever. But um, I I think uh, under the surface, I think he will be remembered and should be remembered as well for, you know, really being intertwined with the city and the ballpark. Uh, He was a guy who loved San Francisco. San Francisco was in his blood. 
even though he was not a San Francisco. He was a, a native New Yorker uh, who ended up uh, moving out here. Um, and uh, it, it was part of his blood, as was his love for the Giants. It's something that um, started when he was nine years old, and he watched Bobby Thompson shot heard around the world on television, I believe. Uh, it was, I believe it was televised. Um, and, uh, and he went to the, uh, world series game against the, the Yankees the, the next day in New York and never lost his, his love for the giants. And, and that really shone through the, uh, the years that, um, he ran the giants and, and, and in the years afterwards, and he was not just some carpet bagging owner who came in here, uh, trying to make a lot of money for himself and all of his fellow investors. Although, I mean, he did that successfully, uh, completely su- successfully him and his uh, and his successors. But, um, you know, I, I think that if we could speak to him one more time, uh, he would say, yes, that was all well and good. Uh, you know, uh, we, we all became financially richer because of the Giants. But but those of us who have San Francisco in our blood and who have the Giants in our blood have this ballpark and this legacy uh, that was created um, and will endure for for many, many years and and many decades to come. And with that, King, I want to thank you for uh, joining me in this Giants Double Play podcast. Uh, I will be recording another Double Play podcast next week. Actually, it'll be a joint Giants Double Play and A's Plus podcast where A's writer Susan Slusser and I will preview the 2019 season just ahead of spring training. We're going to talk about the five key questions for each team heading into spring training. Watch for that next week. And also, for those who bought tickets to the baseball talk that Susan and I are doing in San Francisco next next week, an event that is sold out, unfortunately, uh, thank you for purchasing the tickets, and we look forward to talking to you then. Giants Double Play is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. Follow me on Twitter, at Hank Schulman. You can support Giants Double Play and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.